You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Mrs. Tri-County, which originally aired March 15th, 2005, was directed by David DeVideo and written by Gary Murphy. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'm too perfect to live like a person. And I'm David, and I'm glad it's you. Whenever Eric helps, he always seems to hurt himself. <laughs> but also really too too perfect to live like a person hmm? that's right too yeah. perfect listen i know you're gonna edit it out but uh <laughs> it'll be the secret sound if nothing else david uh i don't think i could flub that hard if i tried well david this is our season finale i know that's crazy dude and you know what that means i do it means we're joined by our special guest, Chuck Mangione. Oh, oh, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Probably playing the flugelhorn over us talking right now, David. <laughs> I forgot all about that gonna be honest i don't remember why chuck mangione is in our season finale episodes i don't either <laughs> but i know that he is I, what did we do to start that i don't know and the only way to find out would be to go listen to previous episodes and i'm not doing that so it's impossible for us to find out exactly <laughs> I guess unless maybe the audience wants to let us know why we're dumb. <laughs> yeah. If you remember how this dumb joke started, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. <laughs> Either way, it'll continue to happen. <laughs> uh, another saga of Jake doing things he doesn't remember why he does them. Absolutely. <laughs> uh... Well, uh, before we get into this episode, we have our community segment. Heck yeah. Just gonna start with a reminder that we have a Patreon, which is how you can support us directly and gain access to our secret podcast, Uncaged. Yep, it's so secret, we're gonna tell you about it all the time. That's right. In which we are watching every Nicolas Cage movie ever made. Dude, I can't wait for the one for this month. Not gonna lie. Yeah, Renfield. Gonna be yep. coming out this month. We're gonna watch it and talk about it. Heck yeah. Looks really good. It does. Which, to say about a modern Nick Cage movie, like, he's starting to really throw out some bangers, man. Yeah, we're in the cage slots, David. Right? It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, we also have some poll results, <laughs> starting with the argument that has not stopped for us <laughs> oh since my... it started. Oh my so, god. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've talked about it completely off mic, we've talked about it on other people's podcasts, we've talked about it on our live streams, <laughs> it just keeps coming up. <laughs> you keep bringing it up. I've brought it up once. You've brought it up once. Eric brought it up once. <laughs> it's been 
equal parts. Mm, I don't remember ever that. But anyways. But of course we are referring to the classic argument. Who would win in a knife fight between a monkey, a squid, and a kangaroo? Yeah, I can't believe we had somebody who thought about voting for the kangaroo. Did we? Yeah, my little sister. Did she? She thought about it when we were talking on uh when we were talking uh when we were playing core keeper. See, I don't remember anyone giving any like credence to kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, she like, did. She was like, I don't know, kangaroos are pretty tough. I'm, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, but she 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 waffled on that pretty. Yeah. And uh the audience did not vote for a kangaroo at all. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's a bad choice. Yes. <laughs> that seems to be the one thing everyone can agree on. <laughs> <laughs> but Monkey did win with 62% of the vote over Squid. Yeah, but it didn't really win, though. Because no one from the live stream would go over to Twitter and vote in the poll. Everyone who was talking about it agreed with me. No. Yes. <laughs> no, chat was very clearly on my side, with the exception no, of Jesse, who doesn't count. No, that's not how I remember. I, of course I remember, not how you remember I, it. I remember the Twitch chat saying, uh, Jake is a genius. Oh my god. Uh, why is this even a question? I hate you so much. <laughs> that's not even close to... I, yeah, that's man. how I remember it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but uh, with that... You know, finally, officially settled. Monkey is the winner. We can look at some other polls. Looking at stilts for our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Uh, which, in that episode, we both agreed that Malcolm was least shitty for helping Sam after, you know, inadvertently taking his job. Uh-huh. And, uh... The audience agreed with us. Malcolm won with 83% of the vote, with the remainder, of course, going to Francis, who was not in the episode. <laughs> As usual. Oh, wait, no, he wasn't. Wait, was he? What? In oh, yeah, yeah, Francis was in that episode. Yeah, yeah. Just barely. He's in two scenes. He's in two scenes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I forgot that was the episode with the stash. That is the episode <laughs> with the stash. That, that would also be why we were both struggling to remember the WTFF for that episode, because there wasn't one. Yep, because Francis was there for two scenes. Yep. Uh, and in point of fact, you chose Francis as shittiest kid for stilts for the creation of the stash. Uh, while I chose Reese for being a creep with his uh, binoculars and his tree near the uh, sorority and or fraternity house. Fair. And the audience narrowly agreed with me Reese won with 57% of the vote, with Francis winning with 42%. I mean, yeah, like, I get it. I'm not saying that what Reese did was not any worse or anything like that. He just, we didn't see that. So. That is true. But with that, let's get into this week's episode. Oh, oh, we don't have a transition there. Don't, don't make me put another fucking fade in. <laughs> I told you I'm gonna make you work for it. God damn it! <laughs> Look, first it was no, don't do it, and then you turn that against me. So now I have to embrace it and just do it all the time. I have to make you do so it's not much even editing. The same sound. And who cares? We're the same section. And hey, because <laughs> I'm gonna have to add a goddamn little guitar thing. 
<laughs> do you have to? What do you do? Yes, of course, David. <laughs> And this will be the only episode that I do it to, too. I did warn you that that was going to be my next tactic, was just to make you have to do all of the sounds and editing. Yeah, but I assumed just around the award sound. I didn't think you were going to be out of new shit. (laughs) (laughs) So the cold open starts with Hal dragging a piece of wood out of the garage, and he calls out for one of the boys to come help. And Malcolm runs over and agrees to help him, and that's where your intro line comes from. As Hal says that he's glad Malcolm came instead of Reese. Reese always manages to get himself hurt. And uh, as Malcolm is, like, holding this board up, Hal uh, starts to, like, saw it while he's still holding it, narrowly avoiding the top of Malcolm's head. As he saws through this board with absolutely no concern for Malcolm's well-being. <laughs> and getting into the episode proper. Uh, we th- th- This one's kind of divided up a little bit weird. I ended up dividing it into two plot lines. Yeah, which even that's weird. Yeah, like you, you could argue this is three plot lines. You could argue this is one plot line. So it's... It's pretty arbitrary. <laughs> yeah, I would argue but, that it's one plotline, personally, but... Yeah, that's fair, but there's there's a weird lack of consequence for the other, like, the Malcolm and Reese stuff on the lowest-centered plotline. Sure, but... They're, they're it, like, they're like plotlines inside of her plot. Yeah, they're, they're fillers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, admittedly, I, I feel like I mostly split it up so that we would have, you know, more uh, options for the A-plot of the heart. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> By which fair. I mean option. An option, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we will, like, cover the main plot line first because, uh, as I said, the other plot lines, like, kind of happen inside of this one. Mm. And it starts... With Reese and Malcolm in their room, laughing. What? You forgot something. What? What's this plotline's name, Jake? Oh, oh, right. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, you're so bad at this. Uh, This is the MC plot for Miss Congeniality. Ah, interesting. Interesting. You're going to be very upset later on. Um, But uh, no, this this is the BB plotline. For Breaking Beautiful. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) What do you mean, okay, sure? That's not your worst work. (laughs) Wow. I hate you so much. Uh... Also, to imply that this took any work is also kind of insulting. Uh... (laughs) That's fair. And, yeah, as I said, this uh, plotline starts with Malcolm and Reese in their room laughing hysterically as they are filling out a form to enter Lois in this beauty pageant. And uh, they're, like, mockingly filling out uh, how great of a mother Lois is. And Dewey comes into the room and asks what they're laughing about, and... They show him the form, and Dewey joins in, 
and laughing as uh, Reese has Malcolm spin the time that she shaved the word liar into his head. <laughs> Yes. Malcolm says that she lovingly dotes over their uh, personal appearances. <laughs> and Lois walks in and asks what they're laughing about. And Malcolm says that Reese found a video of a Japanese guy puking into an electric fan. Which prompts Reese to uh, join in on the line and say, They are so ahead of us in so many ways. <laughs> Uh, so gross, and yet it sounds like something that we would have searched as children on the internet. Oh yeah, this is this is peak 2005 internet content. It sure is. Uh... Then the, the, the boys like, go back to uh, laughing over this for. Then we see Lois and Hal going through the mail, and Lois... Opens a letter and finds out that she has been entered into this Mrs. Tri-County pageant. And Hal, like, uh, takes the form and starts reading all of the things that the boys have written about Lois. And as he's reading this, you know, high praise, he's, like, shaking his head and getting increasingly angry. But Lois, thinking that it is sincere, like, starts to get teary-eyed as she... Says, you know, the, the boys are always acting so horribly, but then they go and do something like this for me. And Hal, like, uh, starts to reluctantly support her, and, you know, believing that this is how the boys really feel about her. Yes, he immediately switches tune to, well, they're good boys. And yes. tries to hide his <laughs> sarcasm. And Lois talks about how she... Always used to go to pageants with Susan, with Susan being the star, and Lois helping her with all of the, you know, backstage stuff, and how she was always ignored because of that, and entering this contest would be a way for her to get back at Susan and show her. And Hal uh, reluctantly supports her joining this pageant. And it cuts to Hal confronting the boys, telling them how horrible they are to do this to their mother. And he tells them that they are going to go to this pageant with Lois and make sure that everything is as unhumiliating as possible for her. That's right, the least humiliating night of her life. And the uh, boys agree as a... Uh, Allegedly, they didn't mean to send this application in. Well, specifically, Malcolm claims he didn't know Reese was going to submit it. Yes. Which, uh, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say, and we never find out. Then we go to the pageant, where the, like, event coordinator is, you know, yelling out to all of the contestants about, you know, where they need to be. And, you know, what time they need to show up for things. And seeing what, what's going on, Reese makes a uh, very misogynistic comment as he looks at all of these you know, uh, older women and uh, asks, you know, why are they trying to look beautiful? Don't they know we're done with them? Oh, Reese. Yep. Lois recognizes one of the other contestants as Donna. And she, like, goes over and greets her and... Uh, they, they talk about how they haven't seen each other in years. Not since Miss Teen Gas and Power. Which, man, what a 
<laughs> there are some great like fake pageant names throughout this episode. <laughs> there really are. Especially since some of them seem like very spot on for our local area. <laughs> Donna like uh, leads Lois over to some of the other women who are in this pageant. Uh, and they're, you know, reminiscing and they... One of them says she quits doing pageants for a few years, but she came back after September 11th. Uh, she couldn't let the terrorists win like that. God. <laughs> Which is fantastic. <laughs> it's the most, like, pageant-going line I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it matches with these type of people so much. Then Donna asks, so where is Susan? And Lois reveals that Susan isn't here, that she's the one competing. And Donna, like, uh, gives her a smirk and says, Oh, that's great. I love that kind of thing. <laughs> then, uh, the, uh, the, the woman who had, uh, rejoined pageants because of September 11th tells Lois not to worry because none of them have any chance of beating Donna, uh, because she has gotten... Nina Perucci to coach her, which uh, Lois, like, gasps and asks how she got Nina Perucci to work with her. And Donna reveals that she's uh, been pretending to have a yeast infection until her husband wrote the check. And uh, <laughs> Nina comes over and, like, corrects uh, Donna's posture, uh, smile, and her bust. <laughs> She like uh, says it. Uh, is that your chin? And Donna says no, and like changes how she's saying it. That she asks, yeah, is that your smile? And she says no, and like smiles bigger. And then she asks, is that your bust? And she like juts her chest out. And all of the other contestants are very impressed by this. <laughs> one of them says that uh, this Nina lady is the one who uh, pioneered the use of backstage laxatives. God, that is a very funny line though it is i have mixed feelings about this episode <laughs> but we'll get into that later <laughs> then uh hal like drags lois away and like starts you know talking to her about uh what they're going to do because he is sort of taking the role as her like backstage coach and as soon as her back is turned uh donna like turns to the other girls and starts making fun of lois and the boys overhear this and decide that they're going to do whatever it takes to make Lois win. Then, back at the house, Hal is showing Lois a bunch of dresses and, like, talking about the pros and cons of these various dresses. Then he decides that, uh, he'll take care of the wardrobe. Lois needs to focus on mastering her talent for the talent portion. <laughs> And that's why he's blocked out the next three hours for her to practice with Dewey. And Dewey, upon hearing this, says, I have homework. And Hal tells him to just buy it from the same guy that Reese buys his from. <laughs> now that part doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> then back at the pageant, the event coordinator is like running the contestants through like their stage directions, which are like very convoluted. Yes, there's two colored lines, and uh, each of those colored lines need to go to a different colored point on the stage and then step across a third colored line. <laughs> and uh, all of the other, like, 
Uh, contestants are, like, very confidently, like, following these directions, except for Lois, who, like, bumps into the contestant in front of her. Then, uh, we see Hal running Lois through her answers for the interview portion of the pageant. As he's, like, uh, you know, telling her that, you know, no matter what question she gets, these are the points that she needs to hit, and she needs to make sure to end it. Say, you know, and God bless America, and Lois asks, and, and where do I put in all this stuff about world peace? And Hal says, we cut that. We don't want you to seem like a liberal nutcase. God. Then <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, we see one of the other contestants, like, finishing up her interview, which uh, she is using her, like, interview part to openly hit on Herkabee, which uh, will connect to the other plot line. Then they call Lois up. And they ask her how motherhood has kept her young. And after, like, a pause, Lois says that she has a problem with the question. And she tells the judges that motherhood doesn't keep you young. There's lots of great things about it, but that's not one. It ages you horribly. And she gives a, like, speech about how when you're a mother, you're stuck loving your children. And you lose all of your freedom, but it's worth it because you have these uh, children that, that you love no matter what. And that motherhood is like some kind of amazing curse. And everyone loves it as the judges and like uh, a lot of the other contestants like give her a big round of applause. And Lois uh, walks off, and Hal is, like, congratulating her, saying how amazing her speech was. And so he tells her, I'm not sure where you came up with all that crap, but it was beautiful. <laughs> they loved it. <laughs> and Donna tries to do what Lois did, as they ask her, What aspect of being a woman do you find the most fulfilling? And Donna says, uh, what kind of stupid question is that? <laughs> and she's, like, much more confrontational as she tries to, you know, do the same thing Lois did, saying, you know, that uh, being a woman is horrible and she's not fulfilled at all. And I never wanted kids either. <laughs> as she's like stumbling through this and the judges clearly aren't into what she's saying she like tries to pivot at the end by saying uh but i do love america <laughs> oh man <laughs> then we back at the house we, we, like, come in as Lois is ending her practice with Dewey as we hear, like, the last few notes of Dewey playing piano. And Hal comes in and tells her that, uh, you know, she's doing pretty well, but there's three counties full of pretty good. If she wants to win, she has to be amazing. <laughs> and Lois says that, you know, this would be a lot easier if she had a real talent, like singing or dancing or playing an instrument. But Hal insists, no, you're doing fine. The problem is Dewey. <laughs> and he goes over to Dewey <laughs> and tries to give him notes on how to properly play the music. <laughs> yeah. Saying, uh... <laughs> uh, in that middle part, you go, do, 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 when you should be going, do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> It's like me trying to correct someone playing music. It's just a bad idea. 
And Dewey just stares at him and says, never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for you, Dewey. Good for you. And Lois, like, tries to get Hal to calm down, saying this was supposed to be fun. And Hal insists that everyone is having fun. <laughs> <laughs> despite the clear evidence to the contrary. <laughs> then we go to the night of the pageant, and Hal is yelling at Malcolm to hurry up and get into his seat because the judges need to see the whole family staring lovingly at Lois when she's on stage. <laughs> and he, like, uh, points out another family that's doing this much better than them. <laughs> uh, Hal. <laughs> then, uh, during the performance, uh, Hal has Dewey give Jamie, uh, more sugar water. As, uh, Jamie's starting to lose his smile, and they can't have that, so Dewey just, like, starts putting spoonfuls of sugar into a water bottle for Jamie. And backstage, Lois is telling the other girls, you know, how nervous she is, and, uh, she wishes them all luck, and... Uh, says, you know, she can't understand how they do this all the time. They're amazing. Then as soon as she turns her back after saying this, they all, like, roll their eyes at her. And uh, then <laughs> we also get, like, a brief aside where uh, the coach is telling Donna to stop blinking. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's ruining her makeup. So Donna, like, opens her eyes, like, unnaturally wide. <laughs> yeah, it's so creepy but also <laughs> god i could see a talent coach do <laughs> if you guys haven't picked up on it yet i don't like pageants the whole pageant scene <laughs> there then uh we are introduced to the presenter of this event who is <laughs> singing the mrs tri-county song which is uh like, very, very much what you would expect. It's like a very, like, Frank Sinatra-esque delivery of this song about how these bonds are, uh, you know, also career women and hotties. That's right, because that's what matters. <laughs> yep. And uh, all of the contestants are, like, you know, doing their, their uh, like, last-minute uh, preparations, and one of the women uh, complains that uh, she's... Missing her hairpin, so Lois takes one of hers out and gives it to her. Saying that, uh, you know, now they'll both be just a little bit off. And the, then they, like, go out and start the pageant. And we see the presenter, like, calling five of the women forward, like, after the first round. And they're, uh, you know, all standing there, like, holding hands, like, with big smiles, you know, clearly thinking that they're the five moving on. <laughs> then the announcer does the, like, reality TV show thing of, and these are the five contestants that the judges have chosen to be eliminated. <laughs> and, of course, that means that Lois is moving on as she was in the group of women that weren't called to the front. Then, uh... Once again, backstage, the other woman give Lois a tiara and tell her that they were all going to wear tiaras uh, for this, this uh, next part. And now that they're giving this to Lois, they'll all be wearing tiaras. Uh, Lois, like, puts it on and thanks her. 
And she goes out for this uh, parade. And as she steps out, all of the women behind her take their tiaras off before they step out. And when the judges and audience see that Lois is wearing a tiara for this, they all start to gasp and, you know, there's a hubbub from the crowd. And Lois is, like, confused by this as she steps, you know, backstage and asks the event coordinator, you know, uh, what's, what was wrong? Why did everyone react like that? And she's informed that usually the judges decide who gets to wear a tiara. <laughs> then, uh, once again backstage, Hal is, like, giving Lois a pep talk as she's in one of the, like, uh, changing rooms. As he's telling her that, you know, she really has to nail the talent part now to make up for the tiara incident. And Lois comes out wearing her street clothes. And well, when Hal asks, you know, why she's not wearing her costume, Lois says she's going home. That she doesn't belong here. And that, uh, you know, all of these other women have made her feel terrible. And when Hal, like, pushes back saying she can't, can't quit... Lois says that Hal has also been making her feel terrible, that for the first time in their marriage, he's making her feel like she's not good enough. And Hal tells her that, you know, that that's not what he wanted to do. He just wanted the world to understand how perfect she is like he does. And Lois says that, you know, that's not going to happen and that she's out of her league here. And when she says that, Hal, like, laughs and says, What do you mean? Why do you think they did that to you? It's because these other women are all terrified of you. You're surrounded by idiots who are afraid of you. You're not out of your depth. You're at, You're at home. home. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> with, with this, uh, you know, last little pep talk, as the event coordinator comes out and... Uh, like, starts telling Lois that it's time for her to be on stage, that she's late. Lois decides to go out and perform her talent. And the uh, announcer introduces Lois and says that she's being accompanied by her lovely daughter, Dewey. God. <laughs> it just, like, cuts to Dewey, who gives him a very, like, what the fuck look. And Dewey starts to play the piano... And Lois joins in as she is whistling to the music he's playing. And it's like cutting back and forth from Lois doing this like whistling performance uh, as the like judges and other contestants are increasingly, you know, clearly impressed with her. And we see that this uh, talent is enough for her to win. As we then go to the family dinner table, where they are all, like, gathered around celebrating Lois's win as she is wearing a tiara and the Mrs. Tri-County sash with a gift box, a uh, gift basket in front of her, which she's, like, commenting on all the great prizes she won, like a coupon for 20% off tires and a box of steaks and a label maker. <laughs> And they're all congratulating her and uh, eating ice cream together, except for Reese. Which Lois says it's too bad he's busy moping and can't enjoy this with them. And from there, we will go to the sort of side plots that uh, kind of go together. 
Uh, and I guess center around Malcolm and Reese. <laughs> well, like all of Reese's stuff is like contextually dependent on Malcolm's stuff. Right. Yeah. No, I, I again, I get it. It's, I just it's like a Russian nesting doll of plot lines. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. The, the Malcolm plot inside of the Lois plot, then the Reese plot inside of the Malcolm plot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. And uh, this starts with uh, the family arriving at the uh, location for the pageant. And uh, as they're walking in, Malcolm uh, hears the familiar sound of Herkabee. As he is yelling at one of the, like, event workers about his gift bag and how he saw other judges... Uh, had two lipsticks and a moisturizer, and he doesn't have a moisturizer at all in his gift bag. This is unacceptable. And she, like, goes running off to, you know, find a replacement for the missing items in his gift bag. You, you know, you did it again, right? What did I do? You forgot about the plotline name. Oh, shit, I did. <laughs> oh, Jake. You're on one today. It's because we're recording on Sunday, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I just don't understand why it bothers you so much. But I, I have my Sunday brain active, David, not my Thursday night brain. Uh, apparently. different. <laughs> Clearly. I'm going to say, uh, based on your earlier statement, I'm going to say you named this one the MC plot for Mr. Congeniality in reference to Reese. That is 100% correct. <laughs> <laughs> See, I almost called the other plotline that, but she wins. That is true. So she can't be Miss Congeniality if she wins. Fair enough. Now, getting back into this plotline, when Herkaby, uh, you know, notices that Malcolm is there, and uh, like turns to look at him, uh, Malcolm asks, you know, what are you doing here? And Herkaby explains that he is one of the judges, and then asks, uh, what are you doing here? And Malcolm tries to lie, saying that he's here because of curiosity. It's sort of a sociological. <laughs> and Herkaby cuts him off, immediately realizing his lie for what it is, saying, my god, your mother is one of the contestants. <laughs> and uh, Malcolm, like, reluctantly admits that that's the case, and Herkaby says, uh, isn't it interesting that I will have, uh, some degree of power over what happens with your mother in this contest? And Malcolm says, I guess I have to find that interesting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Herkaby's a monster. No. Yes. That's, that's crazy talk. Mm. But uh, we then see uh, the, like, worker come back with a, like, whole box full of stuff telling Herkaby that uh, they're out of moisturizer, but that uh, if he wants any of these other things they have, uh, you know, he can replace it with something from this. And Herkaby, like, starts grabbing stuff. And then decides, you know what, just give it, uh, give me everything, and like dumps the entire box into his bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And, uh, we see Herkaby uh, using his influence over Malcolm as he like stops Malcolm as he's walking by and like calls him over saying, uh, it's important. And 
He tells Malcolm that he and one of the contestants have been sharing meaningful glances. And Malcolm points out that all of these women are married, and Herkaby says yes, and that's why it's very important that I be discreet. <laughs> God, see? Monster. And he gives Malcolm a note to uh, give to Darlene. And Malcolm initially refuses, saying, you know, th this is so immature, you want me to give her a note asking if she likes you? <laughs> and Herkaby says, you know, it's fine if you don't do this. It won't affect how I judge your mother. Or will it? God. Malcolm, like... Uh, reluctantly takes the note and delivers it to this contestant, who is, in point of fact, uh, the, the woman who is, like, using her interview portion to, like, openly hit on her, saying that, you know, she has to remember that she's not just a mother, she's also a woman. And she, like, stares pointedly at her, as she, you know, says and she needs to remember all of the pleasures of being a woman and Herkaby like snaps his pencil <laughs> then we see reese steal the judge's manual from Herkaby uh, as he's like talking to malcolm and that that's where like his portion of the episode like really starts to spin off his <laughs> Uh, then, at home, Malcolm asks Reese if he's found anything in the judge's handbook that will help Lois win. And Reese says that he has learned a lot from this handbook. <laughs> Most importantly, that he is beautiful. <laughs> As according to the, like, very specific details that this book, like, outlines... For, you know, female beauty, he is the absolute perfect specimen. His earlobes are the right size. His, you know, face is uh, perfectly symmetrical in all the right ways. And when Malcolm asks, well, did you find anything to help mom? Reese, like, shoots him down saying he understands why unattractive people are always so angry and jealous of him now. That's probably why he has so few friends. <laughs> then, back at the contest, Herkaby once again pulls Malcolm aside, and uh, he says he has another favor for him. And when uh, Malcolm, you know, asks why, say, you know, I, I thought you, you and Darlene already got together. Herkaby says that uh, they did repeatedly and athletically it was fantastic but now he wants malcolm to break up with darlene for him because she's gotten too cleany and dependent and he gives malcolm another note saying that uh he's decided that he's going to be honest with her you know he thought about lying but that just wouldn't be right so i've written this note telling her that i find her repellent it's better to be classy about these things. And, uh, backstage, Reese, like, goes to, uh, Nina, the, uh, coach that Donna has hired. And, like, as soon as she sees Reese, she gasps. <laughs> Which, uh, then, when the performance is going on, and Malcolm is, uh, looking for Reese so that they can all stare lovingly at Lois while she's performing, uh, as Hal instructed, 
Malcolm, like, finds Reese standing, like, near the backstage area with a suitcase. And he explains to Malcolm that he is running away to become a star. And that uh, he's been led to understand that when you do that kind of thing, you have to uh, get rid of all the pathetic hangers-on as soon as possible. And he'll probably have to sue their asses someday. That sounds right. That's, that's <laughs> definitely what I've heard. And he tells Malcolm goodbye. I'll see you in court. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, goes backstage once again to find Nina and tell her that he's ready to go off and do whatever it is they do with beautiful people. <laughs> yes, whatever it is. And he, like, immediately starts laying out his terms, telling her, I'll give you 20%, but not a cent more. And you have to be willing to travel, because he's going to have multiple houses around the world. And he wants a falcon. <laughs> I love, I, I do love his list of demands, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yes. And she, like, looks at him and uh, asks, you know, what do you mean? And uh, Reese says, you know, I read through the guide and I'm perfect. And she says, yes, you have the perfect features for a middle-aged woman. <laughs> and she tells him that if you have a sex change and come back in 20 years, then we can talk. And she, like, walks away as Reese cries out that this wasn't how it was supposed to end. He was supposed to have three rocky marriages, then die in a hotel fire. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where my opening line comes from as he ends his plea with, Please, I'm too perfect to live like a person. <laughs> and the episode concludes with Reese alone at the venue crying as he walks out onto the stage and he picks up some of the roses that have been left behind and uh, he like still crying starts to imagine a crowd is there cheering for him and clapping uh, which like comes in as like low audio as he's like still weeping but like forces himself to smile and step forward on the stage like Doing the pageant queen wave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, delusional, delusional Reese. Yes. And uh, that is where the episode ends. So with that, let's go to our awards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? I had trouble with this one because on principle, I'm not giving it to any of the pageant moments because reasons. So I actually like I... I, I had to think about it hard, but my my I think my favorite visual moment and it's it's tied to i think some of my favorite just like moments as well uh but the uh scene where you start to see hal get really into this while they're sitting at the table and uh he's you know picking dresses and just the like way that he's sitting there he's got like all these different you know like uh old catalog and dress magazines all cut up and stuff and on the table in front of lois i just i don't know i found that hilarious 
Okay, okay. I gave mine to that uh, final moment of Reese just standing in this, like, empty auditorium, like, weeping, but with, like, the big fake smile, like, doing that, like, wrist wave to this just empty except for a janitor, uh. like, auditorium. It's just such a, a funny, like, sad ending for Reese's plotline here. <laughs> You're not wrong. And moving on to the next award, what did you choose for your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. So I ended up going with Reese's final line just because it, or well, I guess it's not his final line, but it's, uh, I guess it is actually the last thing he says. Anyways, um, I love it. It's funny. It cracks me up, which is the, uh, uh, I'm supposed to have three rocky marriages and die in a hotel fire. <laughs> That is uh, hilarious to me. Uh, <laughs> also, God, it's such a Reese thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I went with my favorite line from the Mrs. Tri-County song. Oh, God. Which is, Mom is just an upside down <laughs> wow. I knew it. Uh... <laughs> which is accompanied by like a sign that it is like <laughs> the word mom turns. that spins over <laughs> yes it literally flips upside down it's just so cheesy and dumb and i love it <laughs> that's it's it is right up your alley dude oh man well david uh which of these plot lines did you choose as the a plot of your heart well i obviously went with the miscongeniality plot line <laughs> mostly because reese is funny and also i hate pageants that's fair i i also went with that plot line the, the reese stuff is definitely the highlight of this episode for me and uh who did you choose as your top skate dog your favorite character i chose hal because as much as I hate all of the, like, pageant stuff, I do love seeing Hal turn into, like, the the prissy manager role that he takes, like, immediately. Right. I absolutely love that. It's hilarious. Also, his anger at the boys for <laughs> enrolling uh, Lois is funny and understandable. A bit mean, but I, I get it. <laughs> Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I took Reese as my top skate dog. Okay. Uh, as I said, like, his plotline is definitely, like, what I think about with this episode. I, I do think, like, his, like, immediate fantasy life that he, like, sets up for himself is very funny. And just, like, his immediate bind in on, like, oh, I'm too beautiful. That must be why no one likes me. <laughs> yeah, I I can't, like, I can't fault you for it, because, like, it, he really is, it's very funny, and it is a very Reese thing, but also, uh, it's a very Reese thing. <laughs> uh, and who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? I gave it to Justin Burfield. As did I. Yeah, I think he did really well. Yeah, especially with that last scene. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award? Your award for the worst parent. Uh, Hal. 
Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, the whole Herkeby evil thing doesn't happen, maybe, if Malcolm isn't so pressed about trying to make sure Lois has a good time. Uh, yeah, there's that. There's also the cold open. Uh-huh. Well, I was about to say, then there's the cold open. Then there's also just the, like, you know, he he's more upset at the boys for trying to, like, mock their mom. Or he's more upset that they made her believe that she could win this pageant than that they were mocking her about, like, how good of a mom and how beautiful she was. Like, which is way more fucked up to me. Yeah, and... and- he like has Dewey ignoring his homework <laughs> and he's like, you know, putting this pressure on him to like play better without any actual ability to convey what he wants him to do. And he, he's having <laughs> Dewey like force feed Jamie sugar so that he's smiling when Lois is on stage. Yes. God. And uh, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Sending notes back and forth to someone that you're trying to uh, court or date or sleep with or however you want to put it. And the breakup via note instead of text messages. That, that is a good one. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> <laughs> I gave mine two... <laughs> The, the one lady coming back into pageants because of September 11th. Because you can't let the terrorists win. God. Which was, like, such a, like, just unironic, completely lacking self-awareness thing in so many parts of American culture in this time. Yep. It, it doesn't matter what you're doing. As an American, you're doing it to stop the terrorists. That's right. Well, <laughs> see, the thing is, is, if you stop doing something, then the terrorists win because you're afraid, and that's what stopped you from doing things. And that, That's right. <laughs> did I connect enough dots? Is CNN done recording now? Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> that's what everything was. It sure was. <laughs> And that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid. I'm very curious to see if we're in agreement or not on this one. Okay. Uh, Who did you have as your least shitty kid? I had Dewey as least shitty kid. Uh, Yeah, as did I. Okay. Dewey doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah, he kind of just uh, does what Howl and Lois tell him to do. Yeah. Yeah, he makes a crack about his mom, but, like, eh, what kid doesn't do that? Like, even good kids might be like, yeah, my mom sucks. (laughs) But then when push comes to shove, like, he's there busting his ass to help his mom. So. Yeah. And who did you have as your shittiest kid? Uh, Reese. (laughs) Yeah. It's got to be Reese, right? Like. (laughs) Yeah, I I also have Reese. That's. (laughs) He was going to. Leave his family at, like, even the tiniest hint of some sort of vague success he might be able to have. Right, yeah. And and then there's just, like, ah, uh, like, and he was the one who was, like, gung-ho about, like, all right, we got to get vengeance for Lois because these bitches and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But then also, he's super misogynistic. Yep. And just, like, I don't know. There's... There's a whole lot of problems with Reese in this episode. Yeah, and, and the, the like, self-delusion that is very funny. 
It is it's also funny. pretty shitty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, see, see, David, this was a an agreeable season for us. We're even ending out. I know, with identical, right? shittiest, and least shitty kid. Dude, it's so crazy to me that this is the end. Like, yep. Like, I know we got the season wrap up next next week and whatnot, but like, which, God, I, I don't know. So much has happened, and I feel like so much has changed since the start of this show. Like, <laughs> it's so crazy. Are you ready to start getting into the final season, David? I'm not. I'm not Me at neither. all. <laughs> uh, like I'm, I'm excited because I, I, I love this show and I'm curious what's gonna happen and stuff, you know. And and but like I also love making this show, um, right? And I don't want that to end. So I don't know. I'm. It's definitely bittersweet. I don't know. This. Uh, yeah, it's the we're, we're we're coming into like the end of an era. Yeah, Malcolm in the Middle has been a part of my day my weekly life for a long time now yeah (laughs) so i don't know i'm 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 excited but i'm also sad yeah yeah same but uh we we do still have a couple of segments to wrap up this season finale starting with wtf f where the fox francis yes so Francis has, unbeknownst to the family, actually moved back to town. He is continuing to try to bounce from job to job, as we previously have seen him. And he's really starting to kind of get down on his luck and uh, really discouraged. And so he has started to uh, sort of revert back to his old ways. In that he, a lot of the things that he learned in the ranching days and the being a true like leader and role model uh, and responsible adult, all of that's kind of starting to bleed away. And he's starting to let, you know, Piyama take the reins and and take care of things, Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, except for that he's probably being a lazy bum about it himself. Um, And we see him now moving forward. Uh, he's off trying to scam unemployment so that he can continue to survive and go back to being the shitty scamming Francis that we know. Okay, okay. I feel like that's uh, slightly slanderous. You know, it's not it's not Eric levels of slander, but well, that's thank you, Jake, because that's what I was that's what I was aiming for. I was like, what can, <laughs> what can I come up with that is really <laughs> shitty to Francis, but not quite Eric shitty. <laughs> uh that was the goal <laughs> well mission accomplished david yeah <laughs> but with that let's go to the cranston connection i'm very excited to see what you came up with <laughs> i've got a doozy to end on david i cannot wait <laughs> because i made a discovery <laughs> In the Uh process of coming up with this one. As you alluded to earlier, which has had me wondering this whole time. I'm very excited. (laughs) Because this is not Brian Cranston's only, you know, moment learning how life-transforming these beauty pageants can be. Oh, no. 
as he uh, will shortly after this be known as Stan Grossman in Little Miss Sunshine. Oh my god, I forgot about that. And he will see that, uh, you know, the, the interacting with, uh, you know, trying to get to this uh, beauty pageant for his daughter will lead one of his uh, employees to, like, stand up to him uh, as a motivational speaker, which uh, both he and his employee are, which, of course, we, we saw him gaining these skills in the ep episode Motivational Speaker just a few episodes ago, and th that's part of uh, why he reacts the way he does. When this employee, like, tells him off and, you know, confronts him for the first time, having been, uh, you know, motivated by this beauty pageant, much as Hal was in this episode. But okay. that's not all. Oh? Because in looking into this, I made a discovery. Uh-huh. Which is that the character of Stan Grossman doesn't just exist in Little Miss Sunshine. Uh-huh. The character also exists in Fargo. <laughs> oh my god. As uh, played by a different actor, but is implied, like, thematically and by the writer of Little Miss Sunshine to, like, be meant to be, at least on some level, the same character. <laughs> as uh, he was the right-hand man to the businessman Wade uh, Gustafson, who's, like, the guy getting blackmailed in Fargo who, like, does all of the, like, day-to-day -day management of the business and is, like, giving him advice on the blackmail situation. And Stan Grossman is mentioned in the TV adaptation of Fargo in Season 3 as still a prominent businessman who's continued to rise through the ranks of this, like, Midwestern business. Which means that all of these Cranston connections canonically are also part of the shared Coen Brothers universe oh, as all no. of their movies are in a shared universe. Oh, <laughs> Oh, I knew that's where you were going to go. Then you started mentioning Fargo. Oh, God. Which means that every single thing Brian Cranston has been in via our own logic is also canonically part of every single Coen Brother movie. <laughs> okay. So keep in mind next time you're watching No Country for Old Men that it's in the same universe as Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> nope, it is. Oh, gee. <laughs> Using our own logic, David, that's how this works. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yep. Uh, don't don't use my words against me. That's not fair. <laughs> I think it's, it's the uh, far-reaching webs of what uh, Erica dubbed the BCECU. <laughs> <laughs> the Brian Cranston and extended cinematic universe. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You're not wrong. Uh, I wish you were wrong, but you're not. Uh. Okay, well, that just leaves one last segment. What? No, don't we do that next time? Uh, you'll do the guess next. Oh. I oh, you're going to you grade, grade me for it. You're yeah. right, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's forgetting things now, David? Uh, that's one me, like eight you, so. 
Shut up. <laughs> uh, but you had a sort of a mixed results on this one. Uh, as you were correct that Lois would be the one joining this beauty pageant, though you thought that it would be t as, like, a reclaiming her youth kind of thing that she had, like, always wanted to be in these pageants, which is kind of the case, but not quite. It's much more of a sibling rivalry thing, as opposed to, like, this was her girlhood dream kind of deal. Right. And you were also partially correct in saying that uh, you thought the boys would be, like, very directly unsupportive and that they would be mocking Lois, though you thought it would be during the pageant as opposed to, like, before the pageant than, uh, you know, being forced to actually support her throughout the pageant. Right. Uh, so I gave you a 79%. So you were, uh, you know... Okay. Partially correct on everything that you said, but nothing you said, like, was quite right. Yeah, no, I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Plus, at this point, I, I, I've i given up arguing with your grades anyways, because most of the time you're fair. It's it's very rare that you're arbitrary, so usually <laughs> an Eric episode is required for that, so. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, he is the superintendent of David's oh. guessing game, so he he supersedes you know, mm. my evaluations. No, no, he doesn't. I'm just shit. I'm just your teacher. He's you know he's my boss. Uh huh. You're gonna go with that now, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Jake. Okay, Jake. Okay. Okay, Jake. Jake. Okay. And uh, we will see next episode how your final grade pans out. We sure will. Have to tabulate all of your grades throughout this season, and we're going to see how you did on those pre-finals. Those pre-finals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nice. Uh, how do you think you did this season, babe? Uh, I don't think it's my highest one yet, but I think I did okay. Okay. I had a couple, okay. we'll I had a couple episodes that are definitely going to drag that average down. Yeah, that's true. I, you did have, I think, a couple hundred percents, though. Oh, you know what? You're right. I think this is the only season that I've had a hundred percents. I think so. Yeah. And, uh, gonna be honest, don't remember what any of your predictions were for the pre-final, so I have no idea how you did all Me those. Me either. <laughs> I don't remember those at all. <laughs> well, we'll find out together next week in our season wrap-up episode. That's right. And as always, thanks and credit to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. You can find links to more of his music in our episode descriptions. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so via email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com or on Twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast. If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray where we stream video games, interact with chat, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember, life is unfair. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Malt. Wow. It's, it's going to be one of those episodes, huh? <laughs> you want to you start over there, Jake? Yep. Oh. You're not the boss of... God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
This is what happens when we record on Sundays, David. Clearly. <laughs> I'm here and you're not. Okay, take three. <laughs> <laughs>